Well, good morning. We are so glad that you are here this morning. If you're joining us online, we want to say good morning to you. Uh, I wanted to just mention quickly a couple things about um, our church giving uh, during this season of the year. I know that it probably feels like we're just keep adding things, right? One more thing. Like, here we go. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. So I just want to provide a little bit of clarity, okay? When we give you these opportunities to give, this is a chance to go above and beyond what you normally do because out of our monthly offering, every month we set aside funds to go into a mission fund that you all know that we have. And from that mission fund, anything that doesn't get covered uh, for, let's say, people helping people or anything else of that nature, we'll give out of that fund to uh, make up the difference, so to speak. But the opportunity to um, provide you know, boxes of stuffing, a small show of love for others in our community, the opportunity to help out a couple families with people helping people. We want you, if you are able and if you so desire, to be able to, uh, like I said, kind of give above and beyond what you normally would, have that opportunity. And so um, we, first and foremost, want to say that we're very thankful that we have such a giving church. And I want to recognize that because I don't want it to feel like um, we are not recognizing how much you give already. And so just know that these things will be covered. Okay. That's not, um, that's not like an out to say, don't give if God's calling you to do so, or if you're able right now, we are right at 50 boxes of stuffing. Uh, we need a hundred and next week is the last week to collect. And so that's not a pressure of like, Hey, if you've already bought some, go get some more. Because like I said, and I mean it, we can make up the difference through our missions fund, which we have because of your generosity already. But if you hadn't had a chance to give to that, and that's something you would like to do, um, by all means, I'll go ahead and tell you, we have not given to that yet. I'm holding out for the Sam's club deal of the eight boxes for like $8, but they have been all out of stock at both Sam's club. And even one. I was in Joplin this week and I checked out their Sam's club and they were out too. So Jerick and I have still got some, some boxes to give, but if you haven't given, or you would like to get more of that opportunity last week ends with that. And then the next thing I want to tell you, the final thing is on our cpf.me app under our online giving platform, in the drop-down menu, you can give to the Napier Family Love Offering there. So if you're like me and you're not a cash person, but you would like to be able to give anything, you can go on and do that on our app, and we'll be able to make sure that that money gets to them. If you are someone who would like to write a check, I've had this question. If you're someone who would like to write a check, make it out to Crosspoint, and in the memo line, make sure that you put Napier, okay, or Shelly, or Shelly Napier, or, you know, whatever options of those you can go. You can also have stovetop shipped. So if you'd like to have that before next week shipped to you, uh, don't ship it here because we don't have anybody throughout the week and it'll get left outside and make itself due to the humidity. There's also an option to give for Christmas giving. So if you're somebody who would like to help give for people helping people, but maybe shopping isn't your thing, or like Caitlin said, you would just like to give a, a monetary donation, you can do that through the app as well. And we'll make sure we use that money specifically uh, to buy for those families in need. And so I just wanted to kind of get that further information out there. And now that I have done all that, we are going to finish our series. This is church. This is church. And this is part five of our series. It is the conclusion of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. He 
imparts, maybe that's the right word, he imparts more wisdom on the Thessalonians and then he gives some final instructions at the end of this chapter. And so we're going to kind of break down and look at all that today. Uh, Paul's final lesson in 1 Thessalonians is one of focus. And when I say that, I say that to say where as individuals is our focus. Too often, believers are fixated on things that we cannot control. And, and hear me out. I'm not saying about things that we need to pray for, uh, things that we can pray for. I'm not saying that we shouldn't petition to God uh, for him to, to change things in our world. But what I am saying is that certain times we focus so much on something that we have no control over that it kind of paralyzes us and it petrifies us and it moves us to inaction instead of action. And one of those such issues one of those such issues is kind of the end times. You see a lot of that. People fixate heavily on the end times. When exactly is God coming back? What blood moon? What needs to happen in Jerusalem? Uh, how, what's the world going to look like? What kind of money are we going to be using? And everybody's trying to project and trying to project. And it's not a new thing. And so Paul begins talking in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2. And he says, now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. And he's talking about uh, the day that the Lord will come. Because he says in the next verse, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Right? No one's going to expect it. It'll come at a time that people aren't ready. And... Uh, that's basically all you need to know about it. And verse three goes on to say, while people are saying peace and safety, right? So while people are naive to what's going on, feeling like everything is going well, experiencing peace, feeling safe, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now I've never actually been in labor, but I can imagine that it's not fun, right? Lots of you that have been in labor will second that and say, yeah, it's pretty much one of the worst, best things that's ever happened to me. So we look at the Thessalonians and one such issue that they were fixated on that they hadn't really, that they don't have any control over, but that they were focused so much on was the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is simply when the earth will experience God's wrath, uh, when, when Jesus is going to come back. And it includes those that are naive to what's taking place and not in relationship with God. Paul didn't need to waste any more time. He says, I don't need to instruct you any further uh, on teaching the Thessalonians about the day of the Lord for two reasons. One, he'd already instructed them plenty. They knew what to expect. They knew it was coming. And two, them worrying about it, them fixating on it was not going to stop it from happening or prevent it from coming in the first place. And what was happening is that people in... Thessalonica and the church of the Thessalonians, they were being moved to inaction. They were so fixated on Christ coming back on the day of the Lord happening that many of them stopped working. Many of them stopped ministering. Many of them uh, stopped following the call that God had placed on their life because they were just so fixated on this day and this time. And so Paul wanted them to kind of get over that. So the first lesson that we learn from these first couple of verses is that when we focus on things outside of our control, we take time away from things that we could actually influence, that we could actually influence. And so Matthew 627 says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? This verse 
has been extremely important to me. As somebody who uh, I've been very open about, somebody who struggles with clinical depression, somebody who struggles with clinical anxiety, I am a worrier. The first research paper I ever wrote in ninth grade in my English one honors class for Miss Thompson was a class, was a paper about worry. It was about worry. And we had to come up with something, the subject that was deeply personal about us. And we had to research it and write about it. And I was panicking and I go up to him. I'm like, I don't know what to write about. I don't know what to write about. I've got, there's a million things I could write about. And what if I pick the wrong one? And, blah, 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 and, going through, and she goes, what are you doing right now? I said, freaking out. And she goes, okay, well maybe what's another word for that? I said, well, I'm, I guess I'm worrying. And she goes, there's your paper. So I'm a person whose natural inclination is to worry, to hold on, to try to manipulate, to try to control everything because it helps me control my worry. And scripture tells us right here that, hey, we're not the ones in control who by worrying can add a single hour to their life. It's a rhetorical question because the answer is none of you, no one. Okay. Your time is written. Your time is written. And so we look later in that chapter, Matthew 6, 34, it says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And last week we talked about living a life uh, or a couple weeks ago. I'm getting everything twisted. We talked about living a life pleasing to God, right? And we also talked about sanctification. That was last week, about how that's an ongoing process of how we are being made to be more Christ-like and we're being uh, brought and introduced into what is holy and into relationship with the holy God and into being holy ourselves. And that only takes place when we die, when we meet Christ. The finality of that takes place in our final moment before we enter into glory with God. And so the secret, it would seem, to living a life that is not only pleasing to God, but to finishing our race, to experiencing the ultimate sanctification is to take it one step at a time, to take it one step at a time. You see, one of the things that's going to help us as believers quell our worry, to, to, to get rid of that struggle that we have internally that moves us at times to inaction and, and can petrify us and can overwhelm us because there's just so much going on in our world and there's so much that we have to do is by just focusing on one thing at a time, one day at a time. There were moments in the depths of uh, the deepest depths of my depression um, when I was really, really struggling that my mantra was like, hey, just make it to the next hour. I'm not even going to focus on the day. I'm just going to make it through this hour. And when I make it through this hour, then I'm going to work on the next hour. I'll make it through the next hour. And slowly it started to go, I'm going to make it to the next day and then the next week and then the next month. And now I don't really experience those thoughts, knock on wood, if there's wood around here, someone hit it. Uh, I don't really experience those thoughts a lot anymore, but I was taught to take it one step at a time and to understand that by worrying, I'm not adding a single moment to my life. And what I'm actually doing is taking away from my life because all of that time I could be using to help impact others, to minister to others, to love on others, to be there for others was spent worrying about what I was going to do in myself and, and, and just preventing me from being a person of action. As the saying goes, Rome was not built in a day, right? Rome was not built 
in a day. Sometimes we focus so much on the end product of Christ coming back that we forget to enjoy the process along the way and the building that needs to take place in order for us to get to that place where we can be sanctified and where we can finish our race, so to speak, and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. The problem with ends, endings, is that they often come without expectation or foreknowledge, right? That's one of the worst things about losing people in our world and experiencing death is that so very often we're not prepared. And it happens just like that. And then they're gone. And we don't even really know what to do next. But the thing for us as Christians is that luckily we know what's in store. We know that one day Christ is going to come back. Rather than moving us to inaction, that should move us to action. Okay? We don't have a lot of control. In fact, let me rephrase that. We have no control over when Christ is coming back. We don't get to pick the day. We don't get to name the time. He hasn't told us. There's not like some secret slip of paper you get when you become a Christian that's like, by the way, 8.23 p.m. in the year 2061, it's happening, right? We don't have any type of end. And so rather than focusing on, on that end and, and the fear that maybe that brings you, which as a believer, it shouldn't bring you fear for yourself, but it should bring you to fear for others. We should let our foreknowledge of what's to come impact the way that we live our daily lives in that it motivates us to minister to others. If we look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 11, it says, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Just as in fact you are doing. See, so Paul just started talking to them. He says, you don't need to hear any more instruction about the day of the Lord because you know it well. But what you do need to understand about that day is that you as Christians are not to experience the wrath of God. Right? God did not appoint us. This is verse 9. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So knowing that the end's coming, that should be our goal, to help others avoid the wrath of God through salvation in Jesus Christ. That's how the end affects our lives. If we look at the job as a whole, if we look at every unsaved person, if we look at every region in the world that a Christian would have to travel to in order that somebody might hear about God, it becomes an overwhelming task. 
The way that you get to a successful end is by focusing on each and every step along the way. You know, as a football coach, we teach our players all the time, you just need to worry about this play and you need to move on to the next play after that. Something goes wrong, we know you didn't mean to screw it up, move on and go to the next play, right? Because that's, what hap- that's how you win a game. That's how successful teams are built. Not by focusing on necessarily the end goal, but by focusing on the very next thing that they need to accomplish. And that's how everyone experiences success. If you really think about it, when you have an end goal in sight, your goal needs to be not to get to that end goal right away and to be great at it or, or, or to accomplish whatever task you're wanting to accomplish. It needs to be to do the next thing as well as you possibly can. And so we aren't to experience the wrath of God as Christians that comes on the day of the Lord. And our goal must be as Christians to help others avoid that wrath as well. And so we are neither naive to the future of what is to come, nor to the present of what is happening right now and why it is so important. And so we have to avoid that which takes place during the night. Paul namely mentions sleep and drunkenness. And this is more metaphorical than it is literal. I mean, we obviously can't sleep all the time and we shouldn't be drunk all the time either. But that's not specifically what Paul is talking about here. What he's telling us is that we are not unconscious because when you are asleep, you are unconscious. We are not unconscious to the plight of the world. We are not unconscious to the struggle. We are not unconscious to the pain. We are not unconscious to how sin can affect their lives because we experience all of those same things as well. And we are not being controlled by outside factors like a drunkard would, right? When you get drunk, what influences your actions? The alcohol, right? That, that's what is your driving force. But as Christians, that's not us. That's not our life. We don't have something else that is driving us. It is God, right? It is God. And so he's saying the rest of the world is not what's driving you. It's this one thing. And so these outside factors, they're not here to affect you. And so knowing the end, here's the key. Knowing the end for some ruins the journey. Ruins the journey, right? Think about it like in your uh, love and ability. Some of you are not going to have like, what is this? To binge a Netflix show, right? You get a new show. One of the joys about binging something on Netflix is that you can sit down and you can watch 10 seasons worth of episodes and waste, you know, 50 hours of your life trying to get through this story. But if the end's ruined for you, like if for some reason Netflix messes up and you play the last episode, you're like, ugh. You even go back and watch the rest? No, it's already been ruined for you. So for some, knowing the end ruins the journey. But the reason that that is the case is because those people have nothing to hope for. They have nothing to hope for. Here is an extremely brutal, uncomfortable truth. You are all going to die. Me too. I will also die. I don't know when you're going to die. I don't know how you're going to die. I hope it's a long time from this point today. I hope that you go peacefully in your sleep, if that's even a thing, because people go in their sleep, and I don't even know if we know if it's peaceful, but that's what they say. 
right? It was peaceful in his sleep or her sleep. And you're like, how do you know? Were you, sorry, ADHD, right? But there's a truth. Every single one of us is going to die. For those of us that don't have hope, that thought, that thought is extremely scary. Because they just think that that's the end. They just think that that's the end. But our hope, our hope is salvation. And our hope for salvation guards us from the attacks on our mindset. And that's why Paul tells them to put on the the helmet, okay, the helmet of hope. Verse 8, for since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Our hope helps protect against attacks on our mindset. Rather than despair, we have hope. And that hope is the reason for us to fight our battles. And so while we fight our battles, we put on the breastplate breastplate of faith and love. Here's the thing about those two. Faith protects what's inside, the self and one's soul. Love fights to protect that which is outside, others. Those two things live together in the Christian life in a perfect harmony. Our faith protects Our soul, it protects our mindset. It protects what's inside, right? Because of our faith in God, we have hope and a salvation. But love, love, the love that we experience from God is the love that we've talked about that we should experience from others. That helps to protect others, especially from that day of coming wrath. And we need to understand that there is no separation between the two. As the church If the church loves God, then it will also love people. And to love people is to serve them in hopes that they cease to be children of the darkness and instead they become brothers and sisters of the light. So Paul goes in to some final instructions and we're going to kind of go through those. If we look at Matthew 5, 14 through 16 first, though, it says that you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. And so going back to that verse in 1 Thessalonians. God did not appoint us to receive wrath, but to receive salvation. And as we know, Christ died for us when? While we were still sinners. See, Christ died for both those who are in the light and those who are in the darkness. And we must encourage one another and we must build one another up in honor of God's desire that all men Avoid the coming wrath. So as he continues, Paul's final instructions, like I said, I got a little bit ahead of myself, but it's 1 Thessalonians, it's 
5 starts in verse 12. And we're going to go through these pretty quick, and I'm just going to break down the lesson from each, and it's going to be up on the screen, and so snap pictures or, you know, whatever you need to do here. But 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13 says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. And so I got to go back. Paul's talking right here. He's, he's giving these final instructions to kind of solidify everything the Thessalonians are doing. Because as we already talked about, they to this point have been doing everything a church should do. They are this shining example for what church should look like. And so Paul ends with these final instructions to say, we've talked about all these important things and we know that you're doing them and we want to encourage you to do them further. If you'll remember these last final things that I'm about to tell you, then you will stay in this position. And so as believers... We need to, to really hone in on these, especially as a church. If we want to remain successful as Cross Point Fellowship, then these are things that we need to do. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, I'm going to read it again. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Appreciate others while you can. Appreciate others while you can. Don't get so distracted with what you're doing that you lose sight of what others are accomplishing as well. Show them love while they're still able to receive it. It's pretty straightforward. But as we talked about, the problem with endings is that so often they sneak up on us. And people are gone before we've ever really had the opportunity to express to them how much they mean to us as individuals. As a pastor, it's something that I need to be better at because we have a wonderful staff and we have a wonderful leadership team. And I can tell you that they do not hear from me personally enough that they are doing a great job. And they are doing a great job. And they may not ever hear it from you. Not something to make you feel bad, but if you see somebody doing a great job, tell them they're doing a great job appreciate one another, appreciate one another's efforts and be thankful for them and, and be willing to express that. He goes on to say, live in peace with each other. You see, we cannot be afraid of conflict. We talked about that a few series ago, how conflict really drives us to be better and really drives us to improve and to grow. We can't be afraid of conflict, but we also shouldn't be seeking it out either. When peace is possible, it should be chosen. This is not only great for church, it's good for your life as well. When peace is possible, it should be chosen. And when peace is had, it shouldn't be flippantly given away. It shouldn't flippantly be given away. That goes back to how we talked about it's important to think before we speak. And to really make sure that our actions are measured. Because if we are going to start a conflict, which yes, sometimes is necessary, it should not be flippant. It shouldn't just be, I'm just going to do this because I'm feeling salty or like to mix things up a little bit, right? If peace is had, then we should do our best to keep it. And he goes on in verse 14, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak and be patient with everyone. Pick one another up, dust one another off, be an encouragement and repeat. Be an encouragement and repeat. We are imperfect people. I am imperfect. 
you are imperfect, we will make mistakes. When that happens, we can't be afraid to admonish one another, but we have to remember once we approach each other with correction, that we should also be picking one another up, that we should be dusting one another off, and that we should be an encouragement to those as they continue to improve and get better. 15 says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Break the cycle. When someone wrongs you, don't just think back immediately to, this is how I'm going to get them back. If you are wronged, do not seek revenge in return. At the end of the day, you cannot control others. A very important lesson for me in life. You cannot control others. You can only control yourself. So you cannot control what people are going to do to you and how they're going to wrong you. And you will be wronged and people will harm you. But all you can control in that situation is your response. In those times, do your best to show them the love and the grace of God. It goes on in verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Take time to celebrate the good. Take time to celebrate the good. Good things happen in life. Be appreciative. Thank God. Rejoice. Stop and smell the roses. It doesn't always have to be moving on to the next thing. Stay in fellowship with God. That's really what Paul means when he says pray continually. Not that you always need to be on your knees. Not that you always need to have your hands folded and your eyes closed. But that you should remain in constant fellowship and relationship with God. And then here's the last thing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Verse 18. I think that this statement I'm about to make is really powerful. At least I know that it was really powerful for me this week. Give thanks. Out of faith, not feelings. Give thanks out of faith and not feelings. Knowing that God is working for your good. And so even in those times where you feel like you don't have anything to be thankful for, find something to be thankful for. Thank you for the breath that's in my lungs. Thank you that my eyes opened this morning. There are certainly struggles that you will face in life. We all face struggles in life, but it will do us good if we can realize that there is something for each of us at all times to be thankful for. Lastly, verses 19 through 24, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Don't say no to the spirit. Don't say no to how it's moving you. Don't say no to what it's wanting you to do. Don't say no to new knowledge, but test it. Keep what is good. Take it. Apply it to your lives. Reject what isn't. And trust the Lord to do the Lord's work.
if we can do these things collectively and as individuals, we will be a church. We will be a church that is on fire. We will be a church in which we all get to experience the spirit moving. We'll be a church that feels a lot less like a church and a lot more like a home. And we'll be a body of believers who's there for one another without judgment, but with truth. This is church. This is church. Over this last five weeks, I hope that you've learned something. I know that I have. I hope that you've been able to take something from these last five weeks and you're able to apply it to your life as you leave this place to allow it to change you and to make a difference in the way that you not only treat yourself, but in the way that you treat others and in the way that you see God and in the way that you see his desires. I was long-winded today. I was really worried today. I got super excited today. I appreciate you staying with me. Guys, I believe in this place. I believe in Cross Point Fellowship. And I believe in Cross Point Fellowship because I believe as you, in you as individuals. You make up this church. All of your intricacies, all of your individual personality traits, the way that we fit together, as I mentioned earlier, is a lot like a jigsaw puzzle. You have qualities and traits that I don't have. I have some that you don't have. And when we work together, we work like the body of Christ. We can be the hands and feet of Jesus and we can start to make an impact in our world. And at the end of the day, and I use the end of the day a lot, but at the end of the day, I really think that's what it's all about, making an impact for Jesus. And we've talked about hundreds of ways to do that. But what it comes down to for me is our new motto, new-ish motto, choose second. Choose second. Make others first. Make God first. And if we can do these things, then we will be the church that I think we all want to be, and we will be the type of church that I think we all want to be a part of. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day, but not just this day, God. I thank you for the last five weeks. Thank you for the lessons that were in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, for us to learn. Thank you for the example that that church was to all churches, for Paul's wisdom and for his teachings. God, we want the words, your word, to impact the way that we live our lives, to impact the way that we do church to move us to change the lives of others. We do this. We live life the way that we live life so that others can experience the love of God. And so that when the day of the Lord comes, as many people can avoid God's righteous wrath. Because we know that the wages of sin is death. 
We also know that all of us, every single one of us, fall short of the glory of God. But we also know that God's gift is grace, won for us on a cross, through Christ's willing sacrifice and the shedding of his blood. So often, God, we focus on things that are out of our control. We frankly focus on things that don't matter, things that don't have eternal consequences, and we let them overwhelm us, and we let them become our main focus. And oftentimes, God, they, they become the focus of the church, which is so wrong because you should be the only focus of the church. Help us to have clarity and measured passion to be not only the individuals that you would have us be, but to be the church that you would have us be as well. God, we love you. And we thank you so much for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna be standing up front down here. If you need to come pray, please come pray with me. Jake, if you'll stand back there underneath that screen. Uh, Jer, I'm gonna pull you over there. I know I didn't talk to you about this, but I love you. Jericho will be over there under that television. If you don't want to come up here, if you're uncomfortable, you know, coming up, standing in front of everybody, then by all means, go see Jake, go see Jerica. Uh, come pray with me. There's something, anything that, that you need help with. God will be your greatest help. I firmly believe that. And so we want to carry that to the Lord. If you want to talk to me about salvation, about what it means to, to be in a relationship with God and how we can receive salvation, um, but there's not a better conversation that you could have. Otherwise, let's stand and let's just worship right now. Let's give an offering of praise to our God.